Hey, debug agent. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Did I pronounce your first name first name correctly? Uh, well, uh, debug agent is my alias, but yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Shay Almok, welcome back. Shay. And uh, Shay or, or Shay? Shay. Shay. Okay. Uh, I there's a beautiful page debugagent.com. But you are lying because what you are writing there. So I just took a look at this, and um, you are writing that entrepreneur, author, blogger, open source hacker, speaker, Java rockstar, developer, advocate, and more. Ex Sun Oracle guy with thirty years, thirty years of professional development, and you look like twenty. So <laughs> how, how it is possible? So what what I learned recently that if someone you know works twenty four hours a day can triple, you know, the experience. It's like in your case, you know, you work, you know, 24 hours straight and this is how you got the 30 years of experience or how it is working. No, not quite. It's actually calendar uh, 30 years. I look, uh, I look bald. So you see that I don't have hair. It literally fell out. And uh, Ah, but I thought this degree, is a fashion, you know. This is uh, <clears throat> the, as, as a new You turn it into a fashion, you shave, but, you know, it's... Uh, it doesn't oh. really grow all that well. And when it does grow, it's gray. And my spouse always tells me to shave because when my beard starts growing out, it's all gray and it makes her look old because she's with such an old person. So, uh-huh. so this is why <laughs> you you shave. look young because you're shaving all the time, right? Yeah, that and, uh, <laughs> and I don't frown as much. It's okay. uh, another thing she taught me. If you frown, it sort of stays that way. So okay, it's a smoother skin. So and the, we and the that, video but, conferences work. You know the smoothing skin option. Ah, you have to apply the several filters, right? So uh, on your side. Yeah. But I have yeah. to tell your debugagent.com page looks really nice. So um, it is uh, and uh, also practical debugging at scale book. Um, so I will buy it for sure because it. I mean, I mean, it's really interesting, interesting topic and approach. And yeah, and for the listeners, debugagent.com. So check it out and um, you will find your courses and your book. So we, we covered this the last time. So uh, I have two questions regarding the last time. The one was you told me once you um, you refactored something and you di- didn't even notice that uh, a computer was stolen, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, was there any... So we didn't cover this. Was this in a, uh, something you know interesting about the story, or was it just you know you didn't notice that and nothing happened? So because it is interesting that you actually didn't notice that the computer was stolen during hacking. So was is this something you know we should uh, no? Talk it about, wasn't or? during the hacking. It was the overnight. I was in the office, and the next okay. morning I came in, and during the night uh, someone literally broke the door, and when I tried to open the door, it was kind of wobbly, and I didn't notice that, and then I came and. The desk in front of mine, not mine, had literally mm-hmm. wires ripped out. And no one was supposed to be in the office because it was a weekend where I was literally the only developer there. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone else flew to uh, vac- on vacation. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't notice that. So it's, it kind of goes to the stories like me in a burning building and all sorts of things and not noticing my surrounding environment and... Uh, and the fact that things uh, aren't as they're supposed to be because I'm busy coding. Yeah, it's a, it's a I had a similar problem. story, but I was not directly. But it was um, over the weekend. All displays were stolen in in a company. This was like the SED displays were uh, expensive back then, and the uh, workers couldn't work because there were no displays. But I had a laptop. I was not affected. But um, 
but uh, yeah, this was this was interesting. And um, okay, so where we stopped the last time, and I I, I ask you to stop was uh, the Java Java one with mindstorms and lasers, uh, where uh, you said this was really incredible, and what we also clarified, which I never heard before, that you uh, you work for Sun Microsystems as contractor. But it looked from outside as a Sun Microsystems employee, which was uh, interesting. And then we stopped recording. And now the question is, you know, <clears throat> proceed from that. So what happened afterwards? So you work 30 years for Oracle and Sun. And then, well, uh, yeah, what, no, what happened afterwards? That, that's, uh, the 30 years is my entire professional career. At, uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, Sun you were ex-Sun guys. Worked, and ex mm -hmm. Yeah. I worked intermittently uh, during... Uh, well, since 1999 till mm -hmm. late 2011. So it started at Sun for until the acquisition and then stayed there for a while under the original Sun contract. I, I never actually signed a contract uh, with Oracle, just mm -hmm. uh, sort of an extension. But I had a contract with Sun. And then when Oracle took over, it was a very long process uh, where technically they were the boss, but everything was still Sun in many mm -hmm. regards. And uh, during that time, I, I kept working as if I was still working for Sun. And eventually, uh, when I quit, it was also, if I'd have, have stayed, uh, they would probably not have renewed my contract because I was too expensive. Oracle mm -hmm. doesn't have that sort of concept of uh, contractors that make so much money. They, mm -hmm. They're a very top-down organization, so they just don't hire that sort of contractors. Mm -hmm. But at Sun, you could really do whatever. And uh, mm -hmm. when they hired me, I, I signed various contracts along the years and got uh, increasingly uh, better terms as they got to know me better and uh, as I gained experience there. And uh, one of the first things I started working on there was uh, Doja which, uh, as I said, I ported uh, uh, the original Spotlets VM, uh, not the VM itself, the pre-verifier tool and things like that, uh, to work on Linux. And that helped me develop uh, apps for um, Palm Pilots on, uh, on Linux. Uh -huh. So they got me into essentially what was uh, later on going to become J2ME, but at the time, uh, those of you who aren't in the mobile industry uh, might not be familiar with Docomo, but it's a very important company at the time. This is like Entity biggest... Docomo, right? Entity exactly. Do... Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it, at the time, was the largest operator in the world with uh, the most mobile phones. Obviously, it got surpassed by uh, operators all over the world because Japan isn't the most populated country. And... Uh, but, but at the time, it was not just the biggest, it was always by far the most innovative. And it invented uh, mobile internet, essentially, iMode, which was essentially the mobile web. They invented it. They mm -hmm. invented uh, mobile apps. Uh, the Doja, which is the Java for mobile, uh, Docomo Java, is launched there. Uh, about a year or two before MidP became the standard, before J2ME became popular mass market. And they had phones back then that had motion sensors, cameras, uh, you name it. The whole uh, contactless payment came 
they had that years and years and years ago. And this is just now starting to make it into the West, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, COVID. But they had it in, I think, 2004, 2003 as uh, Felica. And all of those innovations existed there years before the iPhone. And they had an amazing content catalog that was absolutely spectacular. Everything ready-made. They tried to sell it a bit outside of Japan, but it was uh, very few operators took it up, mostly because um, the content is very Japanese in its nature. You know, things like uh, fishing games, where you use the motion sensor of the phone to sort of throw a hook into the water. Mm-hmm. And One that's question, uh, such uh, a Japanese shy. game. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, do, you, should, you said dojo? Doja. Doja. Do, uh, Dokomo? Ja. Ah, Dokomo Ja. Oh, Ja. Oh, Dokomo Ja. Yeah. Okay. So the nickname was Doja. And uh, th- they called it that way as well. Now, um, I don't know if you worked ever with a Japanese company, but it's a very um, strict environment uh, and very organized. They're the antithesis of Israelis who are sort of gang ho and just go and do whatever. And Japanese are very particular that you get like uh, huge books with specifications that uh, are very meticulous with every word, every sentence, and they have tests for everything. To become Doja compliant, you need to, uh, you you have to pass a, a huge amount of tests and they literally close a few people in a room for a couple of weeks and they sit with their phones and run the tests on the phones because these, uh, when you want to test a mobile platform, it's mostly visual. Mm-hmm. And people actually sit with phones and look at them for two weeks, uh, make sure every single test passes. And it's uh, every test has a correlation to the developer guide, to the uh, their guides, and it's it's a very complex environment. So back then it was just launching. And uh, they built this sort of environment and we helped both in testing it and in uh, the process of uh, building an interface for it. And one of the things that uh, that Sun built was the sort of uh, GUI and, and the command line that let you build the mobile application. Because when you, when you compile a mobile application, it's not just a jar you need to go through a pre-verify process in, uh, in J2ME, which is a, pro- a really smart process where you take uh, the class file and sort of uh, prove it that it's valid to the JVM. And that way, when, uh, when a class file is loaded, part of the Java language specification at the time was that you need to verify the file, verify the bytecode, make sure that no bytecode is illegal and that mm-hmm. way you sort of prevent lots of uh, types of attacks uh, where someone mm-hmm. can uh, create a uh, bytecode that is illegal the thing is that the verify stage of the loading of the class file is really 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 slow so one of the inventions in j2me was a pre-verify process that processes the bytecode and essentially generates a part of the verification and shortens the, ver- the verify process later on during loading. 
Mm-hmm. And this enabled uh, J2ME VMs to be much smaller because when we're talking small uh, in J2ME, it's dev- it ran on devices with 100K, 64K, mm-hmm. really small devices. And uh, and the J- JVM needed to be similarly small. And even when it grew, you still didn't want to waste uh, memory or CPU time on doing the full verification. The thing is that you needed to go through that process. Then you needed to generate a manifest with lots of details in it that didn't exist in a normal jar manifest. And you needed to package that with an additional external manifest, which was, uh, I don't recall the name for Doja. It, it had a, a name for that. But in J2ME, it was called the JAD file. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and generally, it's lots of moving parts, not just one jar file, not just a jar mm-hmm. command, but rather separate commands that you need to execute correctly to result in an application. And this was very confusing. And uh, the team at Sun came up with the idea of building a simple tool that lets you just press a button and you get that sort of packaged application from uh, the source code. Why? It because compiles... Sun wanted to have more, more, more presence in Japan or what was the idea? The idea was that it was just painful and solving a sort of a pain for, for okay. Doja and for the people in the team. It wasn't sort of a decision at the top level at Sun. Sun was very encouraging of engineers taking initiative and was very, very much um, sort of uh, everyone just uh, feel free to do what you mm-hmm. think makes sense. And mm-hmm. the team at uh, the SIDC did just that. And the people at uh, Docomo loved it. It was great. It's so much simpler than the whole process before that. It made everything easy. So mm-hmm. the manager of that project, uh, a guy called Dov Zanman, uh, thought, why not do that for MidP as well? Because MidP is the same sort of pain. And, and you said SLDC, it, right? The SLDC was the, like, the, the, the uh, smallest no, profile. Uh, CLDC, yeah. When I said when I said SIDC is Sun Israel Development Center. Sorry. Ah, okay. CLDC because I know the is SLDC. Indeed, uh, connected limited device. Yeah. Get out. So connected limited limited device configuration is uh, the CLDC, and that's exactly. uh, the mobile. Profile. This is what we talk about from technical perspective. The yeah. next one is MidP, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. MidP, MidP and CLDC are sort of uh, are a pair. So the mm-hmm. CLDC is the JVM. There's mm-hmm. also CDC, which is closer to a regular JVM. Mm-hmm. And MidP is the UI interface and uh, various APIs that sit on top of that. So mm-hmm. it's part of a profile where you combine. In, in J2ME, you could combine various uh, JSRs together into a single package and mm-hmm. create a sort of um, mix and match situation. So every vendor would ship with specific APIs that they support. And... Uh, so, for instance, if uh, a VM might support 3D API, so there's a special 3D API, and you could add that, but uh, another vendor might not add that. So you won't be able to work on that vendor. And, and it's all sorts of uh, issues like that. People could, uh, vendors could essentially build whatever they want and create lots of complexities for mm-hmm. working with all the various devices. It was one of the big pain points in uh, in J2ME. So anyway, uh, Dov noticed that problem uh, with J2ME and he thought, well, what's good for Doja is probably good for the general mid-P population, for the everyday developers. 
So he decided to build something called the Wireless Toolkit. And mm-hmm. he tried to get a uh, following for that within uh, Sun. And uh, he got direct managerial approval, but he needed higher-up approval to actually turn this into a product. So he started pitching that about. And this sort of caught the eye of uh, higher-up at Sun uh, that I'll call R uh, and sort of skip his full name because it doesn't come out nicely from this story. And R sort of uh, said, uh, no, it's, uh, it's a bad idea. Because if we release a tool like that, we're essentially treading on uh, the territory occupied by Borland, by uh, the company that makes JBuilder, which was the Mm -hmm. top IV at the time. And uh, this was before Eclipse and NetBeans existed. Uh, Sun hadn't yet bought uh, um, NetBeans. Mm -hmm. So it's... uh, he said, this is the job for for the team at Borland to do, not for us. We build the tools, we build the technology. We shouldn't build the ease of use. Uh, and that's why Sun's tools are always such a pain, because of people like R standing in the way of making things easier. So when Dov was supposed to present his, uh, his presentation about this, uh, R wrote to him and said, okay, I'll come to that conference, uh, virtually, obviously, and I'll show a counter-presentation that explains why Sun mustn't build this tool. So uh, Dov kind of panicked, and he sat down with the CEO of uh, Sun Israel, uh, a woman called Nancy, who's also a great great manager there as well. Both of them learned a lot from them. Uh And... um, and she said, forget about him. Don't even reference him in your presentation. Don't mention him. Just do a good presentation and that's it. And indeed, R was sort of lazy and didn't come to the meeting. So it just went through. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it became the Wallace Toolkit. Uh, um, is something that I worked on in, on the first version of it, mm-hmm. together with... Uh, I was uh, secondary there. It was led by uh, some people like Daniel Blaukov and, and other people at uh, Sun. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I helped with that. It was a pretty innovative thing because it integrated lots of other things. The simulator process, you know, where you press play and just run the simulator and can replace uh, device skins. There's lots of complexity related to all of that that we sort of hid behind a relatively easy-to-use GUI. Mm-hmm. And... This eventually became a product. It won lots of awards and was remarkably popular, the most popular uh, mobile platform before the iPhone, essentially. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thing is that the guys at Borland loved it. That's Mm -hmm. that's the bottom line there. Because for them, we added an API for development tools. So Mm -hmm. they were thrilled that they they had a standard to work with. They had a common Mm -hmm. ground they can build on top instead mm-hmm. of doing all the grunt work of building the low-level integrations. There is a standard now. And so, you know, it sort of goes to show you that uh, there's the line where we assume that we're treading on a competitor isn't necessarily the same, the same one that the competitor thinks of. And the best way is to actually ask them, <laughs> how, how would you feel if we did that? Mm-hmm. And that would have saved quite a bit. Although, you know, it's not always easy to to phrase such questions. But uh, 
it's it's a life lesson in that sense because when R made those complaints, I thought they were valid because they did sound like uh, reasonable uh, complaints. But so what I would learn from uh, it, right, mm-hmm. is uh, if you believe in something, just do it, try it, right. So this is what what would be my actual, yeah, actual that's, lesson. Yeah, that's life. one of those things, and also that sometimes people with experience are full of it, and R is a recurring figurehead. Because when we later on uh, launched Lewitt, uh, he sort of tried to pull off the same thing. So mm-hmm. there's people like that who will always be uh, sort of negative. And there is a remarkably respected engineer. And he, his name is on source files from Java 1.0 uh, that are still around. It's, the thing is that he, he is smart, definitely smart. He's on committees. He, he is a very distinguished engineer. Just uh, you don't always need to listen to even people like that who mm-hmm. sometimes are a bit overzealous and might miss the point. Mm-hmm. So that, that's uh, that's a lesson I took from that. That uh, you know, uh, uh, and and sometimes even when they their excuse makes sense, you know. Yeah, but you think you know. There is no one who is every time right, right? Yeah. So this all, yeah. yeah I mean, this cannot be. Oh, he's always. consistently wrong. Yeah, he was. Okay. Consistently <laughs> wrong, yeah. So um, anyway. Okay. So so that. So he created launched. a wireless toolkit, uh, right? What was a and part it was of the very team successful? that created it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But you you were uh, part of it, right? So you also were, yeah, were committed yeah, to yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, was it a part of a you was built on Swing without any third party IDE integration except a JBuilder? I mean, my understanding is like a reference. There was no IDE integration. It was just mm-hmm. uh, just on Swing, a sort of a simple UI to just compile and run. It mm-hmm. was, didn't have an editor or anything. You could use it with an editor, or you could use it with JBuilder. Although JBuilder had deeper integration, so the integration came from them, not from us. We sort of okay. offered a CLI with uh, various AP, uh, calls that they could use to launch uh, the simulator, to launch the build process, to launch all mm-hmm. of those sort of things. And they used those tools to, to do the build and to implement uh, the behavior in the JBuilder and later on in NetBeans and the various uh, IDs that supported it in the long term. Eclipse and everything, because it was integrated into everything. uh, So what happens then? So you keep working on wireless toolkit, right? And then? So I worked on that for a while. Uh, Then I worked with uh, other companies. I I moved into banks and did all sorts of things as a consultant built. During that time, I got certified as uh, an enterprise architect here. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was the only one in the entire country that did that certification because uh, the guys at Sun paid for it. And uh, I sort of then started going into all these companies and doing all consulting and uh, and teaching uh, enterprise development, uh, all the J2E. Uh, this was before J2E. It was uh, uh, enterprise Java beans and all of that before the Monica came mm-hmm. along even. And uh, I worked with several banks there and insurance companies and uh, all sorts of uh, private sector and uh, government uh, organizations, uh, telecos, you name it, and uh, and did all all sorts of that work. Then uh, 
Uh, but it's a huge shift um, for you, right? From 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 mobile to enterprise. So it's like no, because I did I did enterprise before that as well. Okay, so I went mm -hmm. back and forth all the time. I did lots of desktop as well. Okay, uh, I as a consultant, I did literally everything. Uh, because mm -hmm. I'd go into companies and, yeah, I can do this, I can do that. Yeah, I, and I worked with lots of uh, various technologies. And back then it was still manageable. You could do all three Java platforms without breaking a sweat because there mm -hmm. was a single person could encapsulate the whole thing. And mm -hmm. today I don't think it's still as possible as it was back then. But uh, back mm -hmm. then I, I think... And I also had less of private life, you know, okay. no kids or anything like that to okay. sort of uh, sap your time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did lots of that. And then uh, a son uh, called me back uh, occasionally, occasionally to do a project here, to do a project there all the, all the time. Uh, and at some point, they... Uh, 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 one of uh, Chen, who uh, mm -hmm. worked for me as a cons as part of my consulting company for a while, uh, for a long while, uh, moved back into Sun, mm -hmm. and uh, he started working there. And he did a fork of uh, the wireless toolkit called the Sprint Wireless Toolkit, which is essentially a cust customized version of uh, the wireless toolkit for the Sprint operator in the United mm -hmm. States, and it was very successful. Uh, because they fixed lots of things about the wireless toolkit that uh, that were more operator specific and offered uh, newer device gains and made a more refined experience. Mm -hmm. And based on the success of that project, uh, they built a group dedicated for operators at uh, Sun. Mm -hmm. And one of the things people lots of times miss about uh, the mobile world is the power of operators because operators are... To this day, lots of people don't necessarily notice it because I buy my own phones. You know, I walk into a store and I buy it. Mm -hmm. But most, the vast majority of iPhones, forget other phones, iPhones, bought in the States are from the operators. People don't buy mm -hmm. them from Apple. And mm -hmm. this is amazing to me because, you know, you always think about going to the Apple store, uh, Apple store and buy, buying that. But no, even for an iPhone, for a brand as strong as that, people buy it from the operator. Mm -hmm. So the, the power of the operator back then was much larger than it is now. Mm -hmm. And the way that uh, J2ME standard, one of the problems was that J2ME was managed by essentially the operators and the manufacturers who were themselves puppets of the, of the operators. Mm -hmm. And... It's sort of one of the reasons J2ME got stuck because we had uh, VMs for for various platforms. So one of the projects that I did at Sun, some of the projects were related to porting to devices, to taking the JVM and getting it to work on various devices. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems, we had amazing VMs. We had uh, CDC, which is like Android, essentially, even better. Mm -hmm. It's more efficient, uh, smaller, Uh, faster than the first Android, at least. Way better virtual machine. But we couldn't release it because uh, it was hard to convince vendors to put the money into that. And uh, it was hard. Very few vendors would uh, spend that money. And there was no standard to make use of it. So, you know, you build CDC, which is a great JVM, 
but then put MIDP on it, which is an API built in uh, 2000, mm-hmm. right? So you'd put on it a seven, eight-year-old API, which was built for a much weaker uh, virtual machine. The idea is to obviously build that with something, to pair it with something that's more powerful, like Swing, but Swing wasn't built for mobile. And it kind of created a problem, but in those years, Sun was already in a tough spot after many rounds of firings and cutting back, and uh, it never fully recovered from uh, the bubble, uh, the Uh original 2000 bubble. Uh So... It was a difficult environment to work with and to push things. On the one hand, Sun didn't have the same power it used to have. And operators didn't really, you know, until Apple literally came in and started selling apps in the App Store, they didn't believe an App Store is something that's actually possible. It's, uh-huh. It was something that they, I was at a panel with operators where they, ta- they laughed at the audience suggesting that there's a market for indie developers to build apps. They, mm-hmm. they laughed at the idea. It's a preposterous. There's no such market. Indie developers wouldn't want that, wouldn't be able to do that, wouldn't be able to manage mm-hmm. in that environment. Mm-hmm. The idea of the app store was they didn't couldn't conceive of that, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and indeed, you know, that's, that's the reason Apple and Google came and essentially took everyone's lunch. It's because uh, the operators were each conflicted with one another, competing Mm -hmm. with one another, and getting them to work together and build a single app store, which was a doable thing for them. They just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they couldn't agree on a standard for the future. Uh, I was in a committee to try and help Docomo build uh, their future platform. And we wrote uh, specifications. I was responsible for the 3D specification for Mm -hmm. Docomo there. And uh, after we finished all the work, it essentially fell because of uh, contractual issues. But uh, just getting even Docomo, which was relatively ahead of its time usually, it just collapsed under the scale of the bureaucracy uh, during mm-hmm. that time. So it's less of a success of, um, of Apple and Google and more of a failure of the entire industry and the fact that the, there was no Sun Microsystems to push everything through because previously in 2000, Sun had the power and the cachet to sort of pull everything forward and make it uh, appealing uh, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and without that uh, behind it, the operators sort of uh, broke down into their competing uh, normal selves, and so did the manufacturers, and, uh, and we all lost because of that. Uh, and essentially a standard got replaced with an implementation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, anyway, as I said, I worked on several ports and things like that, and uh, as time moved on, Chen uh, moved back to... Uh, into or into Sun, it was still Sun back then, and uh, and he was working in a newly formed operator group, and that group was trying to build a product for operators. I think it was sort of a portal application for operators, and they wanted it to be customizable and have a iPhone-like user interface, etc. 
So they tried building it, and it looked like terrible, absolutely terrible. And eventually they decided, uh, Ken called me one night and said, you know, uh, we need to build that. And I'm trying this, and I'm trying that, and it still looks terrible. And then he suggested, you know, uh, why don't I build a new UI toolkit? That's, that's the direction we're going. And I told him, you're stupid. Don't do that. It's mm-hmm. too much work, you know, building a UI toolkit. And I started describing all the various problems that you'll need to overcome. And there were lots of them. And it's sort of one of those uh, rabbit holes where you go down and it never ends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and indeed, it never, it never did end. So he started writing it, and uh, after six months or so, uh, they gave me a call and said, uh, you know, want you to come work with the operator group and help him uh, build this thing. And I came over, you know, obviously always always loved working with him. And but you started, started to build it before, so you built it for half a he year? He started to, Hen and, and his team built it for half a year. Okay. And then, and then I came. Okay. And uh, and I started uh, kind of throwing things around and uh, refactoring it. But generally, lots of the ideas that they came, came up with, they kept because it was very much like Swing. They took a lot of the ideas from Swing and essentially did them uh, more mobile appropriate. And so what was the so name of the instance, toolkit? Is it Luit? Luit, yeah. Lewitt. Okay. L-W-U-I-U-I-T, a lightweight UI toolkit. And, uh, and was it mainly a, written in Java or C or what? 100% written in Java, no okay. C code, because it had to run on existing devices. This is sort of very much inspired by Swing. So we wrote Luit initially on top of Midby, so it would be compatible to all the existing devices, but provide a decent user interface. That was the general idea. So would would it be able like to Swing, run on desktop machines? Yeah, yeah, it, it was able to run on desktop machines, although we didn't port it to that because... Uh, mm-hmm. There was no real motivation. It was designed for small screen. Yeah, Later sure. on, mm-hmm. when we took Codename 1, we did do a desktop port and everything. It still looks more like a touch-based UI mm-hmm. than a typical desktop UI, but you can build it and lots of people use it for, for desktop applications as well. Shai, uh, you built your debug agent yeah. application completely from scratch or was it a template? Uh, Debugagent.com, debug the website. The, the website, debugagent.com. Ah, it's, uh, it's built on Hashnode. Okay, because uh, it looks really nice. I thought, okay, you are also you have a, a incredible design sk- skills because it it, it looks ah. really nice. Debugagent.com. So I thought, okay, you are also a, so you yeah. you have a design lazy. skills. No, no, this? I'm actually actually visually. I, I I know how to use Sketch and do design and things like that, but I do them logically because I okay. know the rules. But I have this thing, uh, you know. Um, there is a small subset of the population that can't visualize things. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those people, you know, uh, well, you know, when you close your eyes and you can see someone and imagine that person, imagine uh, if their uh, eye color was different, things like that. I close my eyes and I don't see pictures. You know, I see something okay. very abstract. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't have a visual brain and it's really hard for me to do diagrams and things like that. I, I'm, I do that, and I explain things visually, but it's not very intuitive to me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand things visually, and I don't, I don't intuit. Uh, so I 
but I did a lot of user interface development, which is kind of weird for someone who has this sort of anomaly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sort of do that by understanding the rules behind uh, user interface. And I do notice these things uh, just by doing lots and lots of user interfaces and working with lots of designers. I was able and games, to even games development is incredible. So you were involved, yeah. you know, with yeah. <laughs> Flight Simulator. Yeah, but then, yeah, but then I did less of the UI elements. Okay. That that was uh, later on when I worked on uh, websites and on uh, mobile applications. I worked with lots of designers over the years, and I sort of uh, learned along the way. I know how to use Photoshop rather well and Sketch and all of those apps, and I just uh, learned all of that through trial and error and also understanding the sensibilities the use of white space the the fonts and uh and all the uh nuances of uh, uh alignment and uh and okay. color correct uh, ad mm -hmm. adapting although my daughter still criticizes my choices of colors and says i design like a child <laughs> okay <laughs> so, you know yeah anyway so uh we're Lewitt. about yeah. Lewitt. So, so you after half yeah. a year you you joined you know Hen and you uh, worked on Lewitt and um, yeah I yeah. I interrupted you because I was curious whether yeah. it runs on desktop. Yeah yeah yeah. So Lewitt uh, didn't have an event dispatch thread and lots of other ideas back then. So I added all of those and built a more organized cohesive framework and. Uh, we took it from there and started doing meetings with various companies. Uh, Telmap, which was a local uh, mobile um, uh, navigation app around here, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Converse, which did a sort of a, a visual voicemail application. And mm -hmm. uh, we started working with companies like that to get a sense of what they need from a framework of this type. And... They started working with uh, our alpha version before we had a release, and they gave us lots of great feedback, and we started improving iteratively uh, based on this sort of closed uh, beta sort of process. And uh, then when we felt that we were uh, in a good place, we decided to release this. Now, the manager of uh, our team uh, is uh, was a guy called Yav Barel, and he's uh, kind of uh, a, a good manager to have at your side. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the, at Sun, you, at, at Oracle, the management was very top-down and it was mm -hmm. very difficult to get anything through. But at Sun, it's a very engineering-driven culture. So he could do sort of anything he wanted up to a point. He couldn't release a product. So... Uh, every year before Java 1, there was a conference call to decide mm -hmm. what will go on the main stage, on the keynote. And uh, he got himself on that call. Mm -hmm. And he waited till the end of the call, right near the end. And then the VP uh, that would present everything, Jit, uh, yeah, and, and the VP from Sun is called Jit, yeah. Uh, he stood. He asked, "Is there anything else that you want to show in uh, the, the presentation there?" And you have sort of uh, stepped in and said, "Yeah, we've got this thing called Luet, which is." And he described it, and Jit was, "Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Let's add that." And he sort of skipped all of the steps along the way to prove that there is a product. 
that there's a market fit that doesn't compete with existing things because technically later on uh, the mm-hmm. people from FX uh, the, the more the marketing not the engineering the engineering mm-hmm. understood the logic there but the marketing level people kind of okay we can't explain this it sort of does the same thing as FX does uh, UI uh, but was uh, FX already no. around yeah, uh, sort of there was FX script back then yeah FX script yeah years. And it, but it was sort of. By the way, uh, by the way, Shay, Shay, uh, I I wrote a book yeah. about JavaFX script, and then uh, then almost I was about to publish. It, it was ready, so and and they noticed okay it was killed. It's like okay no problem. So I have no one book um, about JavaFX script which was never released. But I really like the script actually. Not not really. It uh, it was okay and uh, the and declarative I, language, I, I, yeah. Yeah, it was you know the the data binding what I liked so um, um so it was interesting, and then it was killed. So this was my this is where my history fits somehow you know or integrates with yours. Yeah, yeah it's uh, back then when uh, Chris Oliver came up with uh, exactly D three right uh, data. D3, I was uh-huh. yeah F uh, three uh, form F3. follows function yeah exactly F three F three I think yeah so uh, he he came from brilliant. nowhere. He, this is interesting. Uh, he he, he appeared from nowhere. He, his company was acquired by Sun, which was a very frequent occurrence that Sun acquired mm-hmm. companies and didn't know what to do with the companies they acquired. So he came out, out there. And uh, back then, Dove was ready in the States and uh, was doing rather, rather well, and we would correspond. And he started, people were talking about that at Sun over there, and he corresponded with me about it. And I said, you know, this is a brilliant idea because back then, uh, Flash was still an important thing. And uh, there was no Ajax or anything like that yet. So JavaScript wasn't a thing. And uh, I said, you know, this is interesting. You know, we should look at that as sort of something for the future of a sort of a direction where to go beyond mm-hmm. swing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is that the team within Sun sort of bet on, uh, on F3, on FX, mm-hmm. and put all the chips on that. And the thing is that the managers that took that decision assembled... Uh, hundreds of people into the team mm-hmm. and sort of created this monster. And the moment you create a monster, that monster needs to feed. You can't just build something small and simple that works. You need to build everything. You need all the documentation. You need all the accessibility. Yeah. You need all the certifications. You need all the scale. You need all the compatibility. And the problem is that they built it as something separate entirely. They didn't build a migration path from Swing or any of that. sort of. They didn't support the existing community sort of an Apple III problem, you know, where mm-hmm. they built the Apple III and sort of ignored uh, the team went and worked on the Mac and uh, Lisa and sort of kind of created mm-hmm. a bastard sort of computer. And the same thing happened here. Swing sort of became a- abandoned way. Mm-hmm. And they invested all of the great engineers, engineers worked on FX. And then the people that ran that, that sort of made those decisions, the bad bets, left Sun. They left to Rem and Nokia. Sort of, which okay. is the joke that uh, Sun imploded and took with it the rest of the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Rim is research in motion, right? Rim was yeah, uh, this yeah, was BlackBerry, Rim. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they mm-hmm. also collapsed, and Nokia as well. And uh, the thing is that why they uh, quit then? Because I mean, if this was you know, if this was a big project, so why they quit and left the project? Ah, oh, they sort of managers always take up uh, new projects. Okay, so it's just a new challenge. Uh, they get, yeah, a new challenge, more money, that sort of thing. But the thing is that uh, 
when you have a project that grows that much and mm-hmm. then sort of has to shrink back to its normal sizes, it never recovers. And JavaFX sort of reached that point. It had too many people on it and later on too few. Initially, if it had started with even less than people than before, it could have been a huge success mm-hmm. if it was built in the right way, sort of uh, just continuing what uh, F3 sort of initiated or even doing the, what JavaFX eventually ended up doing, but doing it uh, uh, slowly and surely and sort of together with Swing and mm-hmm. with a better migration path and with uh, less ambition than it uh, tried to, to take on. It mm-hmm. would have been a success, and uh, and this this sort of uh, failure is it's a it's a white elephant, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's uh, salvageable. What, what but, I remember, um, this was at Java.net, the website that Chris Oliver was F three forms follow function. So uh, there was even the articles; they were hugely successful. You know, so then you think, and he showed how to do, you know, rectangles or whatever shapes, how how easy it is, and it had huge impact. And uh, but it was from nowhere. But I also remember articles about Luit. So they were also uh, very interesting. Everyone was interested in Luit. And I also read it, and I also know this was my, my questions. Could we run it on desktop? Why not? Why? Because I was less mobile and more enterprise. So um, what I like is, you know, the guerrilla tactics with Java 1. If we make it on stage, right? So then it becomes a product because uh, if people yeah. like it, and we can do, you know, it's almost like extremely agile, right? So Or, or Spike or something like this. Let's yeah. try it, see what happens. And what happened there with, uh, with Louis yeah, and Java so 1? Yeah, you so have, you have sort of mentioned it in the conference uh, call, and it's, uh, yeah, it got in through that back door. Mm-hmm. And you have stood on stage in Java 1, and we also got a session there and uh, pre- uh, presented it later on. And he stood on stage, demoed it, and uh, Jit was uh, made fun of it, obviously. Lewitt, no marketing was involved in picking that name, mm-hmm. uh, which is true. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's literally me, Av, and Hen in the office sort of uh, going through names and trying to find something that wasn't uh, already encumbered. And... Uh, and just sort of released it, and it became quickly the second most popular open source project from Sun ever. Wow! Uh, and uh, after the VM itself, so it's it became very successful. It got forked by pretty much everyone, uh, Samsung, Nokia, everyone out there, and uh, adopted. It's still running in lots of places that you wouldn't expect, like uh, cars and things like that. It's mm-hmm. it became very very popular, and uh, it it was very much focused on uh, J2ME. But it was but we got ports to Android from Community, to BlackBerry, and mm-hmm. uh, we I did a port for iOS as well. But I couldn't release it because it required a Sun JVM. That's ported for iOS, and they never released such a VM. And but uh, it was announced it, at Java One. I remember there was it a Java was One. At Java One, yeah, yeah. Was it your VM? Uh, no, there, there was no VM for Luit. Uh, no, but there, the but there VM was a Java virtual iOS. machine which ran on iOS. Yeah, they announced? that was something. Mm-hmm. They showed it. They didn't announce it ever, and mm-hmm. it was sort of an internal uh, project. It never okay. came out because of okay. licensing. I demoed Luit on iOS internally. Okay. I don't think I ever demoed it externally. 
to show that we can do it. That if mm -hmm. we get the go-ahead, then we can do it tomorrow. And it worked but, well uh, on iOS? Yeah, it worked fine. It worked mm -hmm. like Coding One works on iOS. It's, uh, okay. it's not that hard to do that uh, because mm -hmm. uh, Luit is remarkably efficient in terms of uh, its uh, UI and its... Uh, its code. It was designed to run on uh, devices with less than two megabytes of RAM, and uh, it's running on an iPhone or on an Android device with far more memory and uh, mm -hmm. much stronger CPUs. You it did flies. it with Java Java two D or how 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 you build it? So we built it. No, there's it has its own graphics subsystem. Okay. That itself has a porting layer, and that porting layer sits on top of the various native platforms. So when I'm running on uh, uh, Android, I call into the native Android graphics APIs. Uh, and when running on iOS, we do something similar. The initial port to iOS, uh, the actual the port for Lua to iOS was so-and-so in terms of performance. Later on, when I did a proper port, I did it on top of OpenGL. And uh, that worked fast. So you're drawing the, the, the widgets or you're using yeah. the... it's the like draw. Swing. Okay. Okay. Like Swing, we're drawing. Okay. And this is how Luit worked. It uh, let you input text, then you do that with a native widget. But mm -hmm. for the most part, it drew its own widgets. Later on in Codename 1, uh, we took Luit and we used the same approach, uh, but we also implemented uh, a smarter peer component system, which means we can mix and match. So, for instance, I can take a native widget like Google Maps and overlay lightweight widgets on top okay. and do sort of that the cars I render in Luit in, in Codename 1 and uh, the map is natively rendered. This is what Swing did at the end like right that. now because they could use the buttons, yeah. you know, from operating system and, and yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That's uh, mixing. It's called mixing mm -hmm. in Swing. Mixing, the same okay. concept. Uh, and uh, there's lots of challenges in doing that because you need to intercept events but you need to let them go through sometimes. So mm -hmm. you don't want the, you, you need the events to sort of work in the right thread. And the point is that the event comes to you in the native thread, but sometimes you need to grab it from the native thread and sometimes you need to push it back into the native thread. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, there's lots of challenges invo involved in that, especially in terms of uh, thread safety, mm -hmm. because, you know, the native thread and the event dispatch thread, the local, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, <laughs> There's lots of... Uh, Sounds like fun for you. But man, if you're building a flight yeah. simulator, you were already, you know, uh, you already knew uh, the challenges, right? So... That that was easier. That okay. was easier in terms of threading, at least, you know. Okay. Yeah, but the memory management, uh, whatever, is always a you no know, challenge. But... Um, yeah. You... Uh, was you Luit your last project at Oracle? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I worked on that. We did lots of sub-projects and things related to that, uh, like... The FX team asked us to port FX to feature phones, which we sort of did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm saying sort of because the technology just wasn't there. We mm -hmm. did the most that we could with what, what was possible. But FX mm -hmm. is huge, huge. And, uh, and getting it to work on a constrained environment is... We did what, what we could. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, that that was uh, in 2011, uh, late 2011, after you know, several years of working and trying to get uh, Luet to sort of uh, move ahead. 
and hoping that maybe Oracle will improve the, the situation, it became apparent that this won't change and mm-hmm. uh, that the bureaucracy is just getting worse. It isn't getting better. Mm-hmm. So we decided to quit and form Codename One. And uh, we initially tried to raise funding. And in fact, some people agreed to fund us, but uh, angels, and actually a couple of really, really great angels agreed, but uh, I was stupid. I'd say we, but it's me. It's entirely me. Uh, and I was convinced by people that we should take money from VCs and not from angels, so we didn't take money from angels and uh, ended up not taking money from anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're able to build a product, even without money, and build a community around it. And uh, the product is essentially based on Lewitt initially, but it grew much bigger in scope. It included plugins for all the IDEs, uh, now Maven integration instead. It included uh, two GUI builders. One of them actually inherited from Lewitt, the other one uh, complete rewrite. Uh, and uh, an entire environment, essentially, with How all big the was APIs the team? needed. Codename team. Codename uh, one So team. initially, it was just me and Chen. No one else. Of course. (laughs) Uh, We then added uh, a few people at its peak. I think we were seven or eight. Okay. Uh, Right now, we're four. Are you still? Codename codename one is still going? It's still going. So, and uh, I'm part-time on it. You know, I just do a bit of maintenance and, uh, and I'm technically still the CEO. So I do support and I, which is obviously the job of the CEO. Uh, and uh, do all of that sort of stuff, uh, bug releases and all the reports to the government and everything. Uh, But uh, that's the project is still running and uh, working and lots of people are still using it. So what is is actually the, you know, elevator pitch? Let's say you get now the VC money, you know, so we we do the elevator pitch for code name one. What is it? Why we should use it? It's Flutter only came out six years before it. It's in Java and supports Kotlin as well. It's open source. It's uh, free to use if you want to, although you can pay us. We have uh, cloud-based build servers, which is the main reason people pay. And Mm -hmm. they let you build uh, native iOS apps without a Mac, thanks to the cloud servers or Windows applications without a Windows machine. Uh, We... uh, we let you essentially build uh, something that's closer to native on Android because we're based on Java. So a uh, Flutter app, for instance, would mm-hmm. be uh, would use native code to build for Android mm-hmm. and would be much bigger and have the cost of communicating with native and all of those complexities. Uh, Codename One is Java, so it's just Java connecting to Java. We just package it into Android and it's much smaller. It's also a smaller application on iOS, where our VM is really small. Uh, It's uh, got a concurrent uh, GC, and it's super simple. I wrote it in two weeks. uh, The joke is I wrote it in two weeks, and then Steve Hanna uh, uh, essentially spent two years fixing my bugs. So, (laughs) yeah. Uh, uh, But it's it's still, it's a a good VM. It's a very simple VM. Mm -hmm. And... uh, the idea is that it's um, essentially you'd use it in the same cases as you'd use Flutter, only it's uh, lower level and, uh, well, better for Java 
uh, developers, I would say. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not as refined uh, in terms of uh, the initial UI experience. You need to uh, be able to do some CSS to make it look better. Uh, yeah, have... well, uh, I, I played with Flutter or even did some project with Flutter, mm -hmm. but uh, you shouldn't uh, underestimate, you know, the installation experience of Flutter. It is like I had to yeah. download, I don't know, gigs of... It was incredible uh, for me. I said this is a. Uh, so I would say if Codename One is somehow simpler, it um, it's. I would say this is even worth you know considering as a Java developer, and um, mm -hmm. of course um, if you know the skills and you build a mobile app, I mean, and you said Codename One is open source, right? So there is n not much you know to lose because it's not like an enterprise project you bet for twenty years. You have you will have to re rewrite the mobile apps more often because you know the new devices, new new possibilities, and um, I already uh, interviewed Hen on my blog, but this was uh, a couple of years ago. It was two thousand thirteen, <laughs> and what he wrote, uh, are you still coding? I ask uh, Hen, and uh, the last sentence says, "Shy, um, who is the CEO in the team, is a diehard coder and won't stop coding for many years to come." So nine years later, and this is still true. So um, I will yeah, invite you much. back in ten years and see whether it's still you know it's still the case. So and this is uh, actually this is also you know my strategy: keep coding as long as possible because it's fun and you're getting better and better. Actually, over time you gain experience. But if you change to management, then it's harder to come back. So you will lose all your experience, yeah. and there is no no comeback. So I know I try to postpone the management step as uh, you know as. Um, as, so as late I as think CTOs that are uh, can be good and can be coders. So the good CTOs I work with know how to code, definitely. But so, I shouldn't forget, you know. But if you if you if you have yeah. to manage more, you have no time, you know, to code anymore. Th then so the they problem... need to delegate more uh, and still yeah, keep, exactly. you know, some coding. It's it's important because otherwise, if you're in a technical organization, especially in a dev tool organization, mm -hmm. it's crucial that even mm -hmm. the C-level execs have some coding experience on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they lose some time. Question, uh, the code name one, uh, wouldn't be, I would say, a good idea to push it a bit more? I mean, this is around, it works. We I mean, tried lots of things uh, now, over the years. I mean, really now, it's, because, uh, you know, to, because if you tell to Java developers, they somehow, they don't believe that Java runs everywhere, right? So if you show them, they yeah. are delighted, I would say. And there are not lots of products. Well, there is, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's an uphill battle. And even our Java, you know, the Reddit uh, community and everything, every time someone mentions cross-platform, we sort of get uh, pushed out. And no one mm -hmm. mentions it. Or, uh, uh, and lots of people, I think there's a lot of uh, JavaFX folks who have animosity towards me personally, probably because of st stuff I said about JavaFX, which... I get they they have a problem with that and uh, with uh, perception of reality. But what you said? Uh, what, you, what you said? I'm not aware. Can can, can you say uh, politically? Oh, so you know? I said lots of things, uh, <laughs> but one of the things I wrote back then was uh, that uh, Oracle should spring clean JavaFX, mm -hmm. and uh, that that lots of guys in that community took it badly. It uh, it actually was one of the most successful dzone articles of that year. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was just before uh, Oracle actually did remove JavaFX from uh, the JDK. Mm -hmm. so, so who knows, I might have uh, impacted that decision. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I said lots of other things as well that it will never never work on mobile, which I'm still I still remain to be convinced of that because uh, there's yeah I know there's the company that does that supposedly, but I haven't seen any actual real world products other than the DevOps app, which is terrible. So mm-hmm. uh, you know the problem is that in order to build an iPhone app with JavaFX, you need like 50 megabytes of uh, uh, of an application just to say hello world, essentially. And that's for one platform, you know, for two platforms. I mean, generally when you compile to iOS, you need to compile to several chip platforms. Uh-huh. And uh, so we normally compile to two platforms. So it's double the size for every platform. You essentially package more binaries. Uh-huh. And... And it's uh, it's problematic in that sense. Mm-hmm. I don't have much faith in that platform uh, mm-hmm. surviving, and I think we need to start looking for something else. I don't know if it's Codename One. I, by now, I think uh, Codename One is also um, in a similar situation where it has some following, but it's it hasn't taken off. I don't know if it's a fault of the platform or the traction because of. Uh, our marketing work or lack mm-hmm. of, thereof, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we need lack something new. That's mm-hmm. for definite. And and Codename One is smaller. You think if you're shipping Codename, if you're bundling Codename One to iOS, it is smaller ah, than Java. Uh, it's factually it's tiny. I mean, an app uh, built in Codename One for iOS is under five megabytes in storage. Uh, it's really tiny. Mm-hmm. It's uh, actually smaller than some native apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you what's the problem from my perspective, and um, and uh, because I'm a more or less enterprise consultant, and I'm looking uh, on everything from outside, and what is my perception of such a thing? So um, I didn't knew you before, I knew Hen a little bit, and if I look at Codename One, for me as a Java developer, is Mission Impossible. How it is even possible that a small company can do such a thing, right? So this is the first thing. It's the same if I look at Gluon from Johan Foss. It's the same perception, you know. Uh, it, it, it cannot work. It is impossible that someone can do su- such a thing. So, and if Oracle removed JavaFX from JDK, I said, okay, now it's over because Oracle is a huge company. If I'm working for larger companies, I can say, okay, if you have some problem, buy support from Oracle, not my problem. I cannot fix that, but Oracle could. If they remove it, then I cannot advise anymore to use it because now we have to do some more research. It could be actually interesting, but you know you have to do the research. So as no, um, this is uh, this is the idea. If I use something from JDK, yeah. I don't have to approve it. I don't have to think about this. It's a it's a part of the and it, it, it usually you know nothing gets removed from JDK. So this is a very good sign so, for me. So um and I'm an enterprise developer. What I tell you, my applications, ten years old applications, are running now as serverless. The same code runs on serverless Lambda and Quarkus without modifications, and people love mm-hmm. it. So I, I try to keep it this way. So now, I knew you, for instance, I, 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 because after you know two two hours of talking, and I say it is actually possible that someone can do this because you did it, and if if Hen yeah. you also did it and. And Johan also did it, but Johan Foss ported uh, the uh, the uh, JVM on Linux, Blackdown Linux. This was his work. And what I know from Johan, and now also from you, uh, you you are also not only interested in money, but also you know in long term thinking, enjoying you know Java, enjoying the programming, and this is the difference. So I would say uh, Codename One or or Gluon from Johan, both companies. What I what I what I what I, what I can you know 
see from outside, you are interested in the thing and not that much, you know, just selling as quickly as possible to a larger company where everything dies. And this is the distinction, maybe. You can be successful, a small company, if your mission is, you know, to be successful. So I give you another, another. Uh, I don't know, um, uh, it is in our um, Discord channel, uh, the guy who created JPOS. This is Java point of sale system. I had a, yeah, a podcast yeah. with him. I heard the he, podcast. Yeah, he did it for, I don't know, 20 years, created the thing. And I would say if someone will come to him and say, okay, sell us whatever, he will think twice. So we can rely on such person, but this is not common in business. Then someone thinks like you, like Johan, you know, or uh, or uh, forgot his name, uh, APR. Uh, is his handle at APR. This is what I remember his handle. I have to look it up. Um, who created a JPOS. And... Um, and and this is the distinctions. I would say you could invest actually in code code name one if you know the background. But from outside, it seems like you know it only works with Hello World, and no one knows that you created you no know, Luit for years, ported the JVMs, and this is maybe the problem that it is hard to tell someone, look, so we did it, and it thing, works, right? The thing and is Flutter, let's say Flutter, Flutter as well. Last thing is Shai, Flutter, for instance. Different story because Flutter comes from Google. And no one knows how big their the team is. So, okay, I don't care if Flutter is from Google. Okay, okay Google is not an advertisement anymore because, because they kill everything. But I, I would say... You, and, you see know, the commits in, in uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the GitHub. It's big. Yeah, but um, yes, big. but you know you know the uh, Google Cemetery, the, the project where you know there's all the dead project from Google. So this yeah. is different, can happen at any time. But, um, but this is maybe the difference. And uh, I, I would say a uh, code name one, the name is great. I really like the name, Codename One. And this is like a no boutique small company. And I think you could be successful from marketing uh, perspective. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not so sure as much because, you know, it's been uh, over a decade by now. We're successful in the sense that lots of people built applications on top of Codename One. There's a lot of applications. Can you and tell the coolest, of so one of the coolest applications? Can, can you name some? So some one of my favorite uh, ones is uh, just one of the first guys that ever built an application in Codename One, built a math solver uh, application where you literally build an equation, an algebraic equation, ah, okay. and it solves it for you with all the steps along the way. So to teach kids how to do math properly. Cool. And it works really, really well, has millions of installs, uh, to this day, and the guy barely maintains it. He just wrote it in, I think, the first version of Codename 1. And, uh, and still it still available? works. And it's can still you, can available you for iOS and for Android. Yeah. And it's uh, it's an amazing app. What's the name it, of the it app? Does, it looks bad. Uh, math, uh, I don't recall. I'll send okay. it to you after. Yeah. It's... Um, but it's uh, it's an amazing app. It just looks a bit dated because he wrote it uh, over a decade ago, and it uh, sort of got old by now. Uh, another app uh, that I, I love a couple of the banking apps. There's an operator uh, that built uh, apps in uh, in Codename One. You know, a, a local operator that looks pretty great. Uh, there's uh, just lots of apps like that that are day-to-day -day apps uh, that mm -hmm. so, solve. There's a couple of uh, uh, rider apps, you know, for Corkinet uh, and for for things like that. There's lots of location-based apps because of our mm -hmm. support. 
I wrote a book about uh, building an Uber clone uh, in Java. Okay. And it's uh, it's based on uh, Codename One and on uh, Spring Boot. Mm-hmm. And so lots of people took that book and essentially built uh, location aware apps uh, for mm-hmm. co- uh, based on top of Codename One, which is nice. Uh, so so those sorts of apps are. Uh, I can send you a few apps that I like. Yeah, yeah, this would be nice. So. And um, we are over time again, so you know already what happens. So um, we should promote, you know, Debug Agent, your website, and everyone has to buy your course because you will, they will see you in action, how to debug stuff, and yeah. where the code name is likely or not. You know, it depends on the quality of, you know, of the debug, um, uh, debug yeah. book and your courses. And I have to invite you back because what I would like to do is to understand a little bit more code name one, the first part, and uh, also you know talk about debugging if you don't mind uh, pieces debugging of your, and your maybe book. my time in Lightroom as well. Yeah, because we didn't even reach that. No, but code name uh, everything yeah. what happened after code name one. I'm also interested in code name one because for myself, you know, maybe for the listeners, they can decide can you know code name one take off or not. So I mean, we have. Lots of listeners, and if they listen to this, and we, we can actually sell it somehow, it can happen or not, right? It really depends on, yeah. And th- this would be the idea. And uh, you are a nice guest because you are talking a lot, you know. I don't have to think about a <laughs> lot of questions, and I learn a lot. So I really enjoy the entire conversation. Thank you. Me too. So uh, see you next time. And where people can find you on the internet. So debugagent.com is the first one. And? Yeah. And there's links there for everywhere, but I'm debugagent on YouTube, on uh, Twitter on uh, on everything else, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well, not mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah, it's me as well. So we are almost the same. I'm not on LinkedIn and not on Facebook, but uh, yeah. And if someone you know yeah. like to ping you, you're also welcome to the Airhacks Discord uh, server. It's just open, so it's just a nice community. This is quiet, so don't be afraid. So if you like, you know, to uh, to reach us, go t- just search for Discord uh, for Airhacks in the dis- Discord server. Okay, thank you. Thank you.